1: Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness, to professional development, to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. For most of us, checking our emails, texts, and social media accounts is as much a part of our daily routine as bathing and brushing our teeth. Today, most of us communicate from behind electronic screens, and while we may believe we are connecting with others, studies show that Americans feel less connected and more divided than ever before. According to today's guest, Celeste Headley, The erosion of our conversational skills lies with us as individuals and the only way forward is for us to start talking to each other. Celeste joins us today to offer simple tools that can improve anyone's communication. Celeste is an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and author of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. Welcome Celeste, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, it's great to be here. Celeste, we think we are communicating, but sometimes when I scroll through social media or I listen to other people, I think it's a lost art. When technology is the primary means of communication, so much of our messaging is lost. We lose all of the nonverbal. So what do you believe is happening to our relationships today with the way we communicate? So there's a, a there's a lot in
0: what you have just asked me. I mean for first of all, the the idea that we have that we're communicating, I think it's sometimes based on the fact um, that we do expend social energy when we are, you know, sending out tweets or Facebook posts that does, you know, everyone has a limited amount of social energy each day that refreshes. And you do use it up <laughs> while you're on social media. The thing is, is that you're not getting back all that great biofeedback that replenishes your stores, that actually lifts your mood and makes you feel better. So... After a day spent on social media, even though you haven't really been making an authentic human connection, you will feel tired socially. You will feel like you don't have any more energy to talk with a friend on the phone, for example. But you're correct that we are losing that authentic human connection that we actually need as human beings in order to remain healthy. And again, this is, this, we have to get back to the fact that we are biological creatures, right? We simply have not evolved quickly enough. To to have the same kind of reaction uh, when we get a message by text as we do when we hear a human voice, whether that's in person or over the phone. We just, I mean, we know what the brain looks like. We know what the body does when you respond to a phone call as opposed to a text
1: or a Slack message. And they're simply not the same. When you get a text or you see something that someone has written on social media, you know, I'm amazed at the way people speak to one another through these mechanisms, you know, when when you have to look at someone in the face and say something that might be not very kind and you watch the tears well up and you see the pain, I just think it breeds a, a different way that you are connecting with another as opposed to just typing X amount of words and hitting send. You are absolutely correct. This is
0: why, you know, everybody wants to send their apologies by email or text. And yet the... The reason that we do it is because it's easier. But unfortunately, that ease and that comfort robs it of its significance. And I'll explain. When you've done someone harm, um, moving from I'm angry at you all the way through uh, I forgive you and then being able to move on from that damage is a relatively co- uh, complicated cognitive and emotional process. And we can watch it happening in somebody's brain and in their physiology. So scientists have actually been able to test, test this, right? They can test um, the effect of an apology when you read it in any form, text, email, whatever. And they can uh, observe the effect of an apology when somebody goes to you either on the phone or in person and says, I'm really sorry. I mean, the reason that we do it over the, over email is because it's really hard to face someone or get them on the phone and say I'm sorry. You're afraid that they're gonna be mad at you. You're gonna afraid about what they're gonna say to you, um, and so we avoid that. However, that difficulty is what actually ends up making that apology worthwhile. When you are struggling for words, uh, when they can see your face exactly as you've described, when they see you struggling. it it lights up the compassion center of their brain. I'm I'm being simplistic here, but um, it lights up the part of their brain that's involved with empathy and compassion. And that begins that process that can ultimately lead to forgiveness and then being able to move on. Without that, you've wasted your time sending that off to you by email. It's had no effect. And the same is true, just as you imply, for pretty much any communication that involves um, real emotion, it's just not the same impact when you're not getting that, that response, when you're not seeing someone's face, when you don't hear the, the hesitation in their voice. Um, perhaps you don't hear fear, you don't hear uh, insecurity or anything like that. It, it removes all of that biofeedback that we spent 300,000 years evolving to pick up on. Um, you know, it's, at one point I asked what scientist if at some point written communication would, would at least equal verbal communication in terms of effectiveness. And she said it's possible in five to 10,000 years.
1: So if we are conducting most of our communication in a way that diminishes compassion and empathy, what is happening to us as human beings? And and what will happen to our children if this is all they know? (laughs) It's a really great question. I'll say a
0: couple things, which is that we do have some clinical research that seems to indicate that empathy has fallen and has fallen by a lot in recent decades. Um, so that's number one. And I, I almost feel like that's a no-duh study, right? Like if I say to you, hey, clinical research has proven that people aren't as empathetic as they used to be, I feel like everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, we can feel that change. We can feel this, I guess, this every every man for himself, every person for themselves, right? Um, which is our loss of our connection, which is horrible. I don't know what it means. And, and it's bothersome to me because I don't think people realize that empathy is not uh, a soft skill. Empathy is not something that they teach you on Sesame Street and then you, you, you dump it as you become an adult. For our species, our species has never been able to survive and thrive alone, ever. That's not how we work. We have always depended on community in order to survive. And so empathy and compassion, those things that build strong communities and strong relationships, that has meant the difference between survival and death for our species. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm being alarmist, but th- this is just the truth. And so what does it mean when we lo- when we start losing the, this, this one thing that has meant the difference between life and death recipes. I mean, it's not good. I mean, keep in mind that belonging is the number one need for a homo sapiens after food, water, and shelter have been uh, taken care of.
1: Well, you know, Celeste, we're talking about communication, but if you really think about this, and I'm not a mental health expert, but you were talking about a no-duh moment, and, and I'm sure there are a number of factors that play into this, but When you lose the connection with another person because you're communicating in such a detached way and you're losing the empathy skill that you say we have to learn, we're not taught that, it's just something that comes from life experience, when you lose those things, it's really not a far stretch to see what's happening in society with shootings and just not caring about other human beings. absolutely correct. I mean, I almost have nothing to say to that. Yes. Amen. Um,
0: It's... It's not surprising at all to me, especially in the United States, to see how polarized how we have become and how easy it is for us to otherize people. Um, otherize means I see them as slightly less than human because they're not part of my tribe. It, it, that's one of the things that human beings do for themselves in order to justify hating or possibly doing something awful to another human being is because you uh, classify them as not part of your group. Um, and then it makes it possible to do the, to damage to them. Um, so, yeah, so what's happening around us makes perfect sense to me. And I think also, you know, it's, it's very easy to stand on principle. It's very easy to say, well, I don't talk to this kind of person for these reasons. And I'm not saying that's ever wrong you know it's kind of like whatever your excuses for not going to the gym that day it's probably reasonable but also if you keep not going to the gym it's going to ruin your health and for us if we keep not talking finding a reason to not talk to other people it's going to have deleterious effects it's going to hurt us in the end and and we are going to separate really separate into tribes and that that can only mean emotional violence and and possibly eventually physical violence, but it's not good.
1: Okay, so we've talked about some of the problems. Let's give our listeners some hope. How do we turn this around? How do we become effective communicators and solve some of the problems? This is a beautiful thing. It's so simple. I'm not saying it's
0: easy, but it's so simple to fix this. Because again, we evolved for 300,000 years to do exactly what it is that we need to do. And there's really great support for the fact that even the small interactions that you have with people, even if you need to stay six feet away, um, waving to your neighbor gives you a, a mood boost, smiling at someone on the street increases your sense of belonging, and again, boosts your mood, lowers your heart rate, lowers your stress levels. Asking when you go in to get coffee, asking the barista about the weather or how they're doing. Even those small, short conversations can have a big impact on your mood and your, and your sense of community and belonging. So that's number one. But also start checking in on the people in your life. Right? I bet right now both you and I could think of either family members or friends that we haven't talked to in a really long time. Like make a list of the people that you feel like you should at least check in with every few months. And when you are sitting down and thinking, oh, I have 20 minutes, call them up. Don't shoot them an email. Don't shoot them a text. Just call them up and say, hey, I was thinking about you. Just wanted to check in. And even if you leave a voicemail, which I know a lot of people don't like, let them hear your voice. Um, so those are a couple things you could do immediately. But the, the last thing I would say is that in order for our conversation to be significant to you and your body and your health, it doesn't have to be deep. Small talk is very, very healthy, and you don't have to get into some kind of in-depth, long-term conversation in order to make it worthwhile. Um, you can have a 10-minute conversation about sports, about the book you've been reading, um, and that can increase your relate, that can strengthen your relationship with a friend or neighbor or co-worker, and also give you all of those Um, emotional and uh, cognitive and physiological benefits that are really good. They're going to
1: strengthen your immune system. I mean, who doesn't
0: want their immune system to be stronger right now?
1: When you're in a relationship with someone and to become a more effective communicator, I know I often hear people say things like, well, he should have just known how I was feeling or she should have known. Mm -hmm. People don't know. So how important is it for us to be effective in those settings?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about this this, um, illusion of intimacy, (laughs) which is a real thing. We tend to assume that the people closest to us know us better than they they do, actually. Um, So, yeah, they don't know. (laughs) You have to tell people. And, you know, one of the things I do, my family laughs at me every year because I give people tons of notice about my birthday (laughs) because I care. I care if people forget my birthday and I'm not going to you know, get mad at them if I didn't remind them. So I just make sure I tell them. I don't, I don't wait and turn it into a test to see if they remember. I just warn them way in advance. Um, but I would also say that the, the most powerful thing that you can do to increase your communication skills it does, has nothing to do with talking. It's all about listening. Most of us are good talkers. So I'll, I'll give you a couple statistics here. More than four out of five people say that a past relationship has failed because of poor communication and fewer than one in five think it was their fault. So it's a, good, it's a good bet that in at least some of these conversations or relationships where there's been poor communication, it has been partly your fault. So that usually means you're not listening as well as you could be. If you walk away from a conversation and all you're thinking about is, oh, I should have said this and, oh, I should have said that and, oh, I said that wrong, and you're not thinking at all about what you heard, that's an indicator that you're not listening listening well. If you're going into conversations and all you're thinking about and worrying about is what you're going to say and not about what you need to learn from the other person, it's another indicator that your listening skills need to be polished up. I mean, it's the number one most powerful thing that you can do to actually change your communication skills.
1: Well, if you look at today's world, Celeste, it just seems like everyone is just talking at each other and no one's listening. And, you know, I I put up a a great post the other day that said uh, a mind is a terrible thing to waste that, you know, if you listen, you may actually learn something. And that is, I think, if there's one thing that we all have to start doing better, and that's listening to one another.
0: Yeah, I mean, in my original TED Talk, man, like seven years ago, (laughs) um, I quote Bill Nye, who told a graduating class that everyone you you will ever meet knows something you don't. Um, And that's a really great energy to go into every conversation with. I wonder what it is this person knows. You know, what if I came away from every conversation I had just a tiny bit smarter? (laughs) Rather than, I mean, you already know everything you're going to say. You already know it, like, by definition. So you're not going to learn anything from what you say. The only way that you will learn is by listening to somebody else. Um, And that's sort of the, I don't know, it just feels like, I mean, you must get this all the time when you tell people what you do and they say, oh, I've always wanted to host a podcast or be on the radio. I mean, I hear this all the time. And I think to myself, God, we've got an entire world full of people who think they're talk show hosts. Like, everybody. (laughs) think that. But what they don't realize is that to be a really great interviewer, it's your listening skills that have to be strong. That's the hard part is really listening to what people say.
1: And do you have a strategy that can help someone be a better listener?
0: I mean, there's a a lot of them. And it turns out that um, we do not improve our listening skills Unless we're focusing specifically on improving our listening skills. Right? Like a lot of schools don't teach listening, even though they'll teach public speaking, because they assume you'll learn listening in math class and in history, but it doesn't work like that. You Mm -hmm. have to be consciously working on them. So here's a couple things that you can do. Um, First, the most important thing is to let go of your thoughts. The thoughts that are going through your mind are always going through your mind, they're not precious, they're not magic. You don't need to hold on to whatever that random thought is um, until they stop speaking so you can articulate it, right? We spend a lot of time not listening so that we can hold on some thought that came into our minds or some memory or some story. So that's the very first thing is to learn to let go of that stuff. The thoughts will come into your mind and you have to discipline yourself to learn to let them go. Um, The next thing is upon yourself to listen all the way to the end of what someone's saying. So if you make it a practice to respond to the very last thing that someone said, um, it will force you to listen all the way to the end, as opposed to hearing the first 10 seconds, deciding what we want to say in response, and then hearing nothing else. The third thing I would say is that start listening for the meaning of what someone's saying. None of us are perfect in how well we articulate our thoughts or our ideas. And so assume that somebody is telling you something for a reason, that it's important to them for a reason, and start trying to listen to that, um, that deeper underlying message. They're talking to you about, I don't know, what they cooked the other night. Why? Like, what's going on there? Why is this important to tell you? Why are they telling you this? And start listening for them and asking questions about that, that underlying meaning, instead of getting wrapped up in the way they say things or the words they
1: use. Celeste, that's such great advice. And if our listeners would like to learn more, you can get a copy of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter, and you can visit CelesteHeadley.com. That's H-E-A-D-L-E-E, CelesteHeadley.com. Celeste, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Um, The takeaway is that you're missing out on a lot. You have
0: been missing out on a lot by, A, not engaging people in real conversations and then not listening to what they're telling you. So if you have a fear of missing out, if you suffer from FOMO, put the phone down and actually talk to another person because you have no idea how much you've missed.
1: Celeste, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. It's been a joy.